I want to thank all of you for being here at our Northbridge Hills campus today and all of you that watch faithfully online every week. And let me just go ahead and get it out there. I'm a strongly committed follower of Jesus. I want all of you to pursue the things of God. But this one day, heaven will understand if you root against angels and saints. Okay? That's okay. <laughs> I also want to thank all of the women who work so hard for months to put on the Embrace Conference this past weekend. I hear great things. It was an amazing time. Jamie Leet and her team just poured themselves out and gave hours and hours and days and nights to make it happen. So thank you to all of you who did that. I hope you rest well today because I'm sure you're worn out. Now, speaking of worn out, I got out of the shower this week and noticed I do not know, but Besides the grace of God, what is keeping my one million chapter bracelet on? This thing is frayed and just about to fall apart. But every time I see it, I'm reminded that I've read more in the Bible this year than any year of my life. And it has been such a huge blessing to me. And as a church, we're going to pass three quarters of a million chapters before this month is over. And I'm excited about that. And I just want to give a challenge to all of you that haven't joined us yet. A one-week challenge, just one week. Would you read the Bible every day as much as you spend time in social media? I don't know how much time you spend looking at Facebook or getting on Twitter or just texting on your phone. But certainly just listening to God that same amount of time every day would be good for your soul. Try that for one week and see if you don't receive a blessing. Now, we're about to wrap up this series titled, The Bible Doesn't Say That. And I'm going to give you a teaser for next week. We are going to take on the most popular misconception about what the Bible says. And I would say the most dangerous misconception. It can literally threaten your relationship to God. So you need to come next week and I would invite you to invite a friend because next week the gospel is going to be clearly declared. So be praying about that. But I'm just as excited about what we're going to share today. So let me start with the story of these two older women. They've been friends for years. They love to go to church together. And after service, they're in the foyer just talking about the realities of getting older and some of the things that begin to happen as you age, like your memory begins to fail. And so one lady said to her friend, I know this is embarrassing because I've known you for years, but I can't recall your name. What is it? And her friend said, do I have to tell you right now? You don't get that because you're too young. Someday you will. It is amazing how our memories can fail to work. My wife is regularly stunned at things that have happened in our marriage that I have forgotten about. And it frustrates her and it frustrates me to not be able to remember things that I have forgotten. But let me tell you what can be equally frustrating. To not be able to forget things you wish you didn't remember anymore. And not only is it frustrating, 
But there can be a sense of condemnation that comes with it when someone says to you, hey, you got to remember what the Bible says. You're supposed to forgive and forget. Now, maybe that word comes from a friend who is trying to help you heal from a wound you have received. And they say, the Bible says you've got to forgive and forget. Or maybe it comes across almost like a rebuke. From the person that hurt you, wondering why you don't get over it and move past it and get on with your life. And they say in almost a condemning way, hey, the Bible says you've got to forgive and forget. Well, why do people think the Bible says that? One possibility might be a verse in the book of Jeremiah. The prophet Spends most of the time telling the people of Israel they're going to go into captivity for their rebellion. But at the end of the book, he gives a word of hope that God is going to bring them back. And there's a powerful and wonderful verse in chapter 31 where God says, I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. Now that sounds like God is saying, I'm going to forgive and forget. So I want you to hang on to that phrase, remember no more, because it really is good news. And it really will encourage you if you remember how God remembers. Because the Bible never says forgive and forget. In fact, let's just begin with this thought. You need to forget about forgetting about it, okay? Forgive and forget does some damage. For one thing, it can produce a lot of illegitimate guilt in people who are wounded and innocent. And I know this because I've preached on the problem of bitterness many times over the years. Just recently in our Alive and Free series, we had one whole lesson on being free from bitterness. And every time I preach on the problem of resentment, I hear from people who feel guilty. Because they confuse forgiving with forgetting. And they think, because I still remember what happened, I must not have really forgiven yet. And so they feel guilty. And another problem with forgive and forget is that it can minimize the need for the person who did wrong to repent and change. In fact, it can almost make it sound like you're wrong for not getting over the wrong and your wrong is bigger than their wrong. But here is the biggest problem with forgive and forget. You can't do it. You can't. And God does not expect of us what he never enabled us to do. And so you're fearfully and wonderfully made. And when God was knitting you together in your mother's womb, and he put this wonderful, amazing thing called a brain in you. He did not put in your brain a key that you could just press to selectively delete 
any painful memory you've ever dealt with. We all have scars that we will never forget. The child that was abused will never forget that and should not be told that they should. The teenager who watched a parent just walk out of the family and abandon them is not going to forget that. The mate left by the one that promised to stay with them forever is never going to forget that. If someone destroyed you financially through deceit and fraud, you're not going to forget that. This past week, we had another tragic, School shooting. It is even possible that the shooter was motivated with hate for religious people. It would not just be foolish. It would be cruel to say to the families of the victims, Well, y'all are Christians, so you just need to forget It ever happened. Nobody has the ability to forget on command. And the devil knows this. And so he uses this against us. That's why the Bible calls him the accuser. And so suddenly the memory will come back of something that someone did that was painful. Or maybe even something you did. That you ask God to forgive you for. And that memory begins to haunt you. And the enemy steps into that memory and starts to condemn you. So this whole business of let's try to just forget needs to be forgotten. Because it is not a wise strategy. Let me give you a better suggestion. Instead of forgetting it. Let's decide to remember the right way. And the place to start is with God. Because the answer to our problems is always good theology. In other words, the study of God. How does God remember and forget? What does the Bible mean when it says God remembers and God forgets? Because God is omniscient. And an omniscient being doesn't forget anything. And so the Bible does not contain stories that include details that God has forgotten. God forgave Israel for building the golden calf. God forgave David for committing adultery with Bathsheba. So when those stories show up later in the Bible, do you think God reads and says, I have no idea what they're talking about. Long lost thoughts and memories don't just suddenly pop into the mind of God. You see, we are Westerners. And in the West, we think of remember And forget as a mental activity. 
But remember the Bible was written by Eastern peoples. And in Hebrew thought, remember and forget are action words. Now let me illustrate that positively and negatively. A negative example is in the book of Hosea. Where God is telling the people because of the rebellion, discipline is coming. And God says, I will remember their wickedness. And this is a good example of what is called Hebrew parallelism. The second half is the same as the first half in different words. I will remember their wickedness and punish them for their sins. To remember is to do something. But a positive example is from the book of Genesis. In chapter 8, Noah and all the animals are on the ark. The flood has come. They've been out there for some time. It says in verse 1, And God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and livestock that were with him in the ark. Now what does that mean? Is God walking down the street of heaven with Jesus and all of a sudden, Oh my goodness, Noah! I totally forgot! How long has that dude been on that boat? No, God remembered and he sent a wind over the earth and the waters receded. So when God remembers, it means that he renews his effort to work in that person's life. Consistent with his character and his purposes. So he remembers your wickedness. And so he acts to discipline you and bring you to repentance. Or he remembers his promise or his covenant. And he acts to bless you and shower you with grace. Here's the point. When God remembers, God acts. So. This is so good. What does it mean then when God says, I will remember your sins no more? It doesn't mean God forgot. It means God will not now and God will not ever act toward you like your sins deserve. A woman named Clara Barton was a nurse who founded the American Red Cross. And there's a neat story about a friend who watched an encounter with Clara and a woman that had done something particularly cruel to Clara. And Clara shows great kindness to that woman. So when that woman leaves, the friend comes up to Clara and says, Clara, Don't you remember what they did to you? And she said, no, I distinctly remember forgetting it. In other words, oh, I recall what they did. But even more, I recall the decision I made in my will not to act toward them on the basis of what they did but on the basis of who I am. You can forgive somebody and still remember what they did. 
Forgiving like God does not mean forgetting the past. It means creating the atmosphere and the possibility for a new and a better future. Because, let's face it, some things have happened in your life that you are never going to forget. But you can remember them the right way. What does that look like? How do you remember well? Here's the first key. We need to remember that my memory can be part of my testimony. It's hard to share what God has brought you through if you cannot remember it. Part of what makes your testimony so bright is that it's against the backdrop of the darkness that you went through. Let me give you an example from the Bible. So a man named Jacob in the Old Testament has 12 boys. And one boy, Joseph, uh, is mistreated by the others and sold into slavery where he goes through a lot of hardship. But while in Egypt where he was sold, God shows favor, he comes to power, and eventually, through his wisdom, he doesn't just save the nation of Egypt during a famine, he saves his family, and they all move down to Egypt. And then daddy Jacob dies. And the brothers think, there's no way Joseph forgot what we did. Now he was kind while dad was around. But now that dad is gone, is Joseph going to hammer us? And so they come to him. And here's what Joseph says. You intended to harm me. In other words, Joseph says, I'm not going to pretend that what you did wasn't bad. I'm not going to act like I just forgot all about it. You intended to harm me. But God intended it for good. To accomplish what is now being done. The saving of many lives. In other words, Joseph says, I haven't forgotten what you did. And what you did was wrong. But I choose to remember what God has done. And I'm going to let the memory of God's grace trump the hurt of your wrong. And his mess became his message. His test became part of his testimony. See, forgiving is not pretending that it never happened. It's not pretending that it didn't hurt. Forgiving is not saying that it wasn't that bad. Forgiving is declaring that grace is that good. And memories of surviving a trial victoriously. And showing how that wound that used to be an open wound has now become a scar. And now a scar is always going to be there. But it doesn't hurt like it used to. And that memory of that story somehow issues into praise being given to God. Uh, One of the clearest examples of this in recent Christian history is a woman named Corey Ten Boom. And many of you know her story. She and her sister Betsy were part of a strong Christian family in Holland. And they were hiding Jews from the Nazis when they were arrested and sent to the Ravensbrück labor camp where they endured horrific evil. In fact, Betsy died there. 
So when the war is over, get this. God used Corey for the rest of her life to go around the world, but especially to Europe and especially back to Germany to preach a message of grace. And she saw thousands of people come to Christ, not because she pretended that it didn't happen and it wasn't bad, but because she chose to lean into the grace of God, which trumped the memory of the wickedness. I want you to think about this. What takes more love? To forgive someone who did something you'll never forget, or to forgive something for something you can't even remember. You've had people come up to you before and apologize, and you're thinking, I don't even remember that. That didn't take much grace. But when you forgive somebody for something that time will never erase, you have just magnified the grace of God at work in your life. That's what the accuser wants you to forget. And so the next time that awful memory comes to your mind, the devil is going to step into that memory and try to beat you down and fill you with a spirit of condemnation. And you're going to resist the devil and you're going to say, no, devil, that memory is not going to drive me into the sea of guilt. That memory is going to drive me to the throne of God where I exalt him for his grace at work in my life. Because your memory can become a part of your testimony. But it's important to remember that forgiving and trusting are two different things. Forgiving's a gift. You say, well, they don't deserve to be forgiven. If they deserved it, it wouldn't be forgiveness. Forgiveness is a gift. By forgiving, we clear the slate so that a new future becomes a possibility. And it's critical that we forgive. Because if we do not, we will wind up in the prison of resentment. It is non-negotiable for a follower of Jesus. No matter what happened, you forgive. Jesus said, Matthew 6, if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others... Your father will not forgive your sins. Forgiveness is not an option. But reconciliation is. They're not the same thing. Forgiveness is a one-way street. Reconciliation is a two-way street. And so you can completely forgive someone, but that doesn't mean a new future is created because they may not want a new future. And forgiveness is not the cheap granting of a relationship where no change and no repentance has taken place. And so sometimes, even though you completely forgive somebody, you have to set up boundaries. We understand this. No one here would say that a child or a woman that was in a physically violent situation should be told, well, you've just got to forgive them and go right back into that situation. 
Forgiveness is a gift. Trust is earned. Some years ago, a man took a statement I said in a sermon. He lifted it out of context and he wrote a book. And in that book, he made it sound like I believe something I have never taught. It was deceptive. It was manipulative. But the problem was the bitterness was putting me in prison. And I didn't want to stay there. And so I wrote him a letter. And in that letter, I extended grace and kindness and forgiveness. But since then, I've seen him do to others what he did to me. And so while there is 100% forgiveness on my part, there's not 100% trust. I'm very cautious with anything I say around him. See, our memories are our consultants, not our dictators, but they're our consultants. And we must not forget that the Holy Spirit is eager if we ask to give us wisdom as we live with the things we cannot forget. Okay, that was a long sentence, but it was so good, I'm going to say it again. Don't forget that the Holy Spirit wants to help you. And if you ask, he'll give you wisdom how to best move forward with those things you can't forget. And if you are a follower of Jesus, that means that you can never forget the cross. It is not wrong to remember an injustice. And I've got to tell you already this week, and I have had so many tearful encounters with people who said, because I couldn't forget it, I thought God was mad at me. No. It is not wrong to remember an injustice. But as you recall how somebody mistreated you, you must also remember how God treated you when you were his enemy. Now, if the gospel is not true, and that whole Jesus died on a cross for our sins and rose again from the grave, if that's make-believe, didn't happen, if the gospel is wrong, then it is right for you to take matters in your own hand when you get wronged. Vengeance belongs to you. But if the gospel is true, if Jesus really did die for your sins and you didn't deserve it, and he really did come back from the grave, if the gospel is right, 
then it has to affect how you respond when you are done wrong. So let's go back to Corey Ten Boom. It's 1947. She's preaching in Germany. Because she grew up in Holland, she loved metaphors about the sea. And one of her favorite verses was to preach how God has taken our sins. And he's capped them into the deepest depths of the sea. And she really believed that. Until she saw him. An older, balding, heavyset man in a trench coat walked forward, hat in his hands. He did not recognize her. But she immediately knew him. He said, Fraulein, you mentioned Ravensbrook. I was a guard there. Well, she, she didn't need him to tell her that. When you have to walk naked in front of a man who ogles you every day. And watch your sister die. You don't forget that man. He said, Fraulein, since the war has ended, I have become a Christian. And I know God has forgiven me. But I ask you to do the same. And he put out his hand. He said, Fraulein, will you forgive me? And she writes, she said, it may have seemed just like seconds, but to me it seemed like hours. He held that hand out. And there was nothing in me that wanted to grab it. Does he think that with just a few words, I'm supposed to forget that my sister died? But then she remembered what Jesus said. If you do not forgive others their sins against you, your heavenly father will not forgive yours. She knew that forgiveness is not an emotion, it's an act of the will. And so she prayed this amazing prayer. Remember I said you can ask the Holy Spirit for help? She said, God, I need help. I can hold out my hand, but I can't make the feeling show up. And so very woodenly, mechanically, she put her hand in his hand, and then she said it happened. She said, I felt a current. It started in my shoulder. It ran down my arm right into my hand. And I became flooded with warmth. And I began to cry. And I said, brother, I forgive you. I really, really forgive you. And it was the greatest experience of the love of God I've ever had in my life. Now listen to me. Somebody right now hearing me talk is struggling with a memory. And Satan has been using that memory to beat you up, to make you feel condemned. Maybe it's something you did. Maybe it's something someone did to you. But it's real. And you're never going to be able to forget it. Don't take that memory and try to stuff it into a closet. Don't pretend it didn't happen. 
But you take that memory to the foot of the cross. And the supernatural work of God's grace and the Holy Spirit shows up. And I don't know how to explain it. But I'm telling you that somehow as we stand before the wounds of Jesus... We began to live with our own wounds in a healthier way. That's one reason every week at our church we take communion. Now, you might be a guest and you've never seen this in your life, but every week when we get together, we take some bread and a cup and we remember the body and the blood of Jesus. Jesus didn't say how often we should do it. He just said as often as you do it. He said do it in remembrance of me. We do it every week. We think it's that important. Because remember in the Bible doesn't just mean have a mental image. It means act. And so when we take that piece of bread and that cup, it's like we're renewing our commitment to act more like Jesus. And so in a moment when we pass the bread and the cup, I'm hoping the Holy Spirit will put the thought of an action on your heart. Maybe you need to forgive someone. Maybe someone needs to hear the story of Jesus and you've been afraid to tell them. Maybe you just need to receive God's forgiveness and stop letting the devil beat you up about that thing you did. But right now, we're going to go to Jesus and remember. Bow your head, please. Dear Jesus, we thank you for coming. We thank you for dying. We thank you for rising again. We thank you that the story is true. But the fight is real. The enemy is relentless. And he keeps trying to haunt our memories. So Jesus, we bring them to you. We believe your grace is greater. We believe your love is stronger. We believe your truth trumps every lie. So help us right now to remember well and act more like Jesus. May we never lose the wonder of your mercy. Amen.